Money matters to God, but why? Actually, the Bible has over 2,000 verses on money and its place in our lives. Jesus talked about money and stewardship more than heaven, hell, or prayer. It's also one of the areas where we have the most questions. Join us as we jump into what God has to say in this series called Money Matters. All right, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. If you would, do me a favor, help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both in the room and online. Man, so glad to be worshiping with you guys today. This place is getting crowded. Y'all know, though, there's still supposedly a pandemic going on out there somewhere, right? I guess that's not funny yet. 2022, I'll do that again. We'll see what happens. Hey, a uh, couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, we've, we are in a finance series, and we're talking about uh, our, our most loved topic, money, and our most hated topic, money. And the reason for that is because when we feel like we've got plenty of it, we love it. And we feel like somebody else has all the money and we've got none. We don't know how we're going to pay our bills. Well, then we hate it. And so uh, the, the reason we think we need to talk about this in church is because you may not be aware of this, but there are actually over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money and how we're supposed to use it in our lives. Jesus actually talked about money and stewardship of it more than he did heaven, hell, or prayer. And Jesus warned us that it was going to compete for our devotion to God. He said that actually many people are going to lose their faith. They're going to walk away from their faith all because of their desire for money and the stuff that comes with it. So we're calling this series Money Matters because apparently money matters to God. And if it matters to him, it should matter to us as well. And so as we're doing the series, it's, it's got a theme, three words, three themes uh, the first one was honor. We started that last week, so if you missed that, you can go catch that online. Uh, and then today, we're gonna talk about margin. Next week, we're gonna wrap it up with generous. Before we go any further, as we're talking about money, I wanna remind you that we like to be transparent with our finances here at Grace Life. So if you were here last week, one of these was on your seats when you came in. It's our annual report for 2020. Uh, it talks about all the great things that God did through Grace Life and uh, where we are financially, as well as just the, the report of lives changed as well. So be sure and check one of those out. If you were online, you got that by either downloading it at our website or clicking the link in the chat, which you can do right now once again. And those of you here in the room, pick one of those up on your way out. Uh, one more thing before we jump in too much further today, that is to let you know that we have a new life group that is starting right at the end of this series in about two more weeks. And it is a Financial Peace University life group. That's Dave Ramsey's uh, financial life material. How many of you heard the middle word of that? Financial peace. So this is for everybody who is really tired of not having peace. Everybody who's tired of uh, wondering where the next paycheck is coming from, how much quicker could it get here, and those kinds of things. If you're not sure how you're going to retire someday, whatever it is that is taking peace away from your financial life, I want to encourage you to get into that life group. We're doing that specifically uh, for you as a response to this series as we talk about uh, money and its place in our lives. So there you go. Well, y'all didn't like my other joke about 2020, so I'm not sure I should ask this question, so I won't make it a question. I was going to make it a statement. We hated 2020 for, for lots of reasons. One of them actually is financial. Because when this pandemic came along, what happened is it changed how we work, it changed how we live, and it changed how we spent. And when it changes how I spend in certain stores or businesses, that affects what you earn in your business because it's all linked together, right? And like when everybody was locked into the pandemic, we all wished that we had had bought Home Depot stock because that was like Black Friday every single day. People are like, I'm stuck at home. I'm finally gonna paint this room. I've been waiting to paint. On the other hand, some of us worked in businesses that shut the doors 
instead of had lines outside. And so finances were very different for many of us. Actually, many families, even businesses, and sadly, even churches were devastated by what happened in in 2020. And maybe if you weren't devastated, you were at least very uncomfortable for a period of time, wondering what was going to happen and were you going to be okay? So a good question for us is, is, would you like to make sure you're not ever there again? Would anybody like to make sure you never have to go through wondering if tomorrow is going to be okay? And well, I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that there's not gonna be a pandemic again. I can't promise you that 21 or 22 won't maybe hold some worse things than you've already experienced. But here's what I can promise you is that there are principles in the Bible that'll help us prepare for the future because the one who wrote those principles knows the future. Y'all get all that? There are principles in the Bible that will help us prepare. I can't promise what the future holds, but we can prepare because the one who wrote the principles holds the future. And so that is one of the reasons that we're talking about this series. And one of those principles is the principle of margin. And I I learned this earlier in my life, but the truth is I don't think I put it into my life until I started learning to put it into the church. I have a friend of mine who pastors uh, one of the most influential churches in America, and I'd actually probably be better off calling him a mentor and because uh, he's taught me so much. And one of the things that I learned from him was how to operate a church financially because he operates his church on the principle of margin, and they have ever since day one. They open the door saying, this is how we will spend our money. And so what has happened is, uh, when I say the principle of margin, it means that you don't spend and you don't plan to spend all that you receive. There's some room in there for whatever may come. And because they've always had this principle of margin, they've been able to take, uh, just see some great opportunities, take advantage of some opportunities. And you know, one of them was when they had a major hurricane, uh, I'm sorry, tornado. One of the biggest tornadoes that hit our country in the last couple of years went straight through the city where they are based. And they were able to actually give half a million dollars in cash towards relief efforts right there in their city. Let me tell you what, when a church shows up with half a million dollars, it is really hard to insult Jesus. Y'all know what I'm saying? They've also been able to get facilities as their church has expanded for pennies on the dollar because corporations and other people wanted these really nice buildings come along and they'd say, well, we've gotta do this with stockholders or well, we've gotta get this loan and they would just show up with cash and they'd be able to do stuff. And and, uh, his quote that, he taught us, he taught me and some other pastors was a very simple idea. If we have margin, if we have margin, we can either seize an opportunity or we can weather a storm. Who knows what tomorrow holds? So when we went through a pandemic, they weathered a storm. Other days, great opportunities come up. But when you have margin, you can either seize an opportunity or you can weather a storm. So the real question that, that I have for all of us is, how many of us want that to be true of our family? in our home, right? I hope everybody will say, that's, that's what I want for me. We were going into 2021, I really felt God impressing this upon me for our church, as well as for my family, but for our church. And I met with our staff. We had an all-staff meeting in November, and in November I said, look, we're gonna have an operational word for 2021. And you need to know, I'm not one of those guys that prays every year and gets a word for the year. Are you, anybody here who's one of those word for a year kind of people? Yeah, good, good for you. Um, I, no, I mean, seriously, good for you. And, and I'm doing it for the first time ever. And God gave me three words for my life. They may come out later uh, in something we preach this year. God gave me a word for us as a church that I haven't shared with you yet. I've just been preaching it. See if you can all, maybe we'll do a little guessing game and we'll get to December, see who could figure it out. But God gave me an operational word for behind the scenes for the staff and how we operate, and it was margin. 
Now, I want you to know we've already used this principle. We've already been operating with margin. And you're gonna see today, as I tell you some of the stories, how we were able to do that. But, but God is showing me something, at least I believe he is. I really believe that something is coming in the next year or two. And I think it's gonna be a great opportunity for our church. I think that God is saying, get ready. Now, here's the thing. I could be totally wrong. And maybe it's a storm. But either way, we're gonna be ready. And what God has called us to do will be just like last year. Because there was margin, we were able to continue doing what God called us to do. So what I wanna do is share with you a story that, that Jesus told that, well, in all honesty, isn't usually used when we're talking about money. Because that's not his main point. And before anybody sends me an email and says, Jimmy, you did not exegete that passage correctly, I want to go ahead and tell you this was not his main point. Let me tell you what his main point is. A smart aleck teacher of the law, God's word, tried to trick Jesus. And so he says, well, you know, if you're so great, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus, of course, just looking and goes, you're a teacher of the law. If you don't know, nobody knows. You know what it is, man. He made him, made him say it himself. So, so that, that dude was a little miffed that Jesus made him answer his own question and show that he was just trying to trick him. So he says, I'm gonna get Jesus on my second question then. So the question was, you know, what is the greatest commandment? The answer is, of course, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he was mad that he had to say it. So he says, well, do you, Jesus, then tell me, who's my neighbor? And he had that little smart aleck attitude like, well, this will finally trick Jesus. And this is his answer. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And I'm gonna stop right there and make sure we all understand the context of those people and what just happened. So the idea is that there is a Jewish traveler on this journey, right? And so along comes a priest. That would be for us today like your pastor, okay? So uh, for the Jewish people, they had the priest, and so these people are related. I, I want you to imagine that you have broken down on the side of the road, and while you were calling for help, somebody not only came up to to, to do something, they actually robbed you and they beat you up. So now your car is broken down and you're broken down and you're on the side of the road. And I come along and I get in the left-hand lane and go a little quicker. I mean, how are y'all gonna feel about coming to church the next week, you know? And, and then the Levites were supposed to be those who serve the priest in helping carry out all the duties of the temple. So this is like your serve team. Okay, so right after I get in the left-hand lane and drive by you a little quicker, it means that your serve team, Captain, that whatever team you serve on, the, the person that calls you every week and says, hey, how you doing? Would you serve for me? They're like, I don't care. You serve for me. I'm, I'm gonna get on the other side of the road and go past you. And you're thinking, I ain't never serving on that person's team again. I can't believe they would do that. And, and so this guy that's laying in the road, the people who should have cared the most about him those who were supposed to help him get close to God and represent to him how to worship went on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. 
Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, obviously, Jesus' main point in the story was answering the question, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus' answer is any fellow human that you can show the love of God to. But the excuses are over. And the reason that he used a Samaritan as it was a teacher of Jewish law challenging him was because the Samaritans were the most hated by the Jews. You see, the Samaritans were what they would have called a mixed race because they used to be Jewish, but then when they were conquered by another nation like Assyria, they married and intermingled with them, which God's word said not to do. So the Jews who remained pure in all of that and only married Jews looked at these other people as, as, I'm gonna use a a slang that's not a pretty one, but as a half-breed. That's the way they saw them. And for that, they hated them and they judged them. And they thought they had compromised how to follow God, compromised how to worship. And they were people they just couldn't stand. And so Jesus comes along and says, actually, it's not gonna be your pastor always. It's not always gonna be your servant. Matter of fact, what if, what if it were the people you hate the most that you think don't even follow God correctly that show up and show you what it's like to be a neighbor? Man, when Jesus did that, you need to understand his main points were important. First of all, any fellow human is your neighbor. Second of all, he was addressing the racial issues of the day because, see, the Jews hated the Samaritans and it was all over race. And he was saying, y'all looking at this all the wrong way. And then he also was addressing the fact that the religious elite of his day had lost their heart for God's people. He was pointing out, hey, don't be surprised if a priest gets on the other side of the road because right now they don't even like me and I'm the son of God. So so there you go. That was your sermon on all the things Jesus was actually trying to tell. So I I just exegeted that for y'all. Y'all good on that one? But I wanna ask you another question. Have you ever read this story and thought about the money the Samaritan must have had? I mean, like, seems like that dude must have been rich because I personally have never gone to any human and said, hey, you do whatever you need to do, whatever you think is best, and you just send me the bill. I'll be happy to pay it. Anybody in here willing to? I didn't think so. We we don't do it that way. We're like, tell me up front how much this is gonna cost. Or this is how much you can spend. Here's your two denarii. You spend that. You don't spend a penny more. That's all I've got. No, this guy is actually like, here you go. Here is two days wages. Two days wages, which was a lot of money. Imagine what you make. Take your paycheck, figure out what it is for two days. And imagine that you give that to somebody to take care of somebody you've never seen again, that you may never see again. Who knows? The guy could be dead before you get back. The innkeeper could take the money and get rid of that. I mean, who knows? There's another thing that I think Jesus was trying to, or at least I'm trying to help us see, because we we tend to think the guy was rich. That's how you give two days' wages. That's how you say, do whatever needs to be done, and I'll cover the bill. The guy's rich. But here's the problem. If Jesus is trying to teach us how to care for our neighbor, and, and that guy's rich, then we're all off the hook. Because we all get to say, hey, Jesus, man, I don't have unlimited funds like the Samaritans, so I can't do that. I've got a budget. I've got to stick to it. I've only got so much money for my help a stranger on the side of the road box, you know? But here's the thing. I don't think he was rich because there's not a single clue in the story to say so. You see, this journey that he was on from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually famous. This wasn't a fictitious thing that Jesus made up. It was a very famous journey that at that time was dangerous. It was like us on Two Notch Road after dark. 
See? And when Jesus said, there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, that same response happened. Because the journey was famous for being robbed, for having bandits hiding behind different places along the journey. And you didn't do this by yourself. It wasn't a good idea. It was also famous for a second reason, and that's that it was a treacherous journey. It was, it was a harrowing thing. You could easily get hurt. Your donkey could break its leg. You could, I mean, it was not a good idea or safe for you to be traveling alone. So would a rich man travel alone? Of course not. A rich man would have had servants with him. A rich man would have paid somebody to be his entourage. A rich man would have paid someone to be security for him on this journey. Samaritan had none of those things. He didn't have a carriage. He had a single donkey. Showed no clues of being rich in the story. Matter of fact, Jesus did want us to learn stories about rich people and from rich people. And every time Jesus did that, he started the story with, there was a rich man. He didn't do it this time because he's making a point. Whatever the Samaritan can do, you and I can do. Here's the deal, though. The Samaritan was still able to give some money, promise more money, and go on his way. The reason? He may not have been rich, but he did have margin. The Samaritan had more money than he needed for that journey because he took money in case. Do you guys live with in case in your life, like wonder what's coming, who knows what'll happen? You, you go on a vacation and you take the in case money, even if you don't tell your wife that you have it because you know that she's gonna go shopping with it. I'm just kidding, y'all. That has no bearing on how my life works at all. Actually, I'm the one that'll spend all the in case money just for the record, it is not my wife. The man wasn't rich, he had margin. And we all would like to have margin, but we believe a lie. And that is, you have to be rich to have margin. You have to have too much. When you have too much, then you can have extra. When you have more than you need, then you can have extra. But that causes us to believe a lie that we will only be able to have space and extra and room for whatever God may tell us to do or whatever we may need to do or whatever life throws at us when we're rich. And the problem is many of us are never going to be rich according to the definition of that word. Because just go ahead and define rich for you. Think about, when you think about rich, what, what do you think of? Do you think of Kardashians? I mean, do you think of Beach House? What, what do you think of? Because actually, anybody here today is most likely in the richest 1% of every currently alive human on the earth. Did you know that? If this is your world, if this is your life, if this is where you are, you are in that. We are rich. And yet we still don't have margin. We still are wondering, how are we gonna pay for tomorrow's bills? The Bible tells us there are two reasons. Two reasons we don't have margin. The first one is very, very practical. And that is that we don't plan our spending. And so we spend all of what we have and sometimes more than what we have because we have these in our back pocket. Here's what Jesus said. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? <gasps> oh my gosh, what a novel idea. Think about what it's gonna cost. Think about what you have and plan before you spend. It's not a novel idea, it's called a budget. Yeah, that's a curse word, isn't it for some of you? Especially when you're trying to buy something and your spouse goes, we can't do it, that's not in the budget. And you want to say a word you wouldn't say in front of me, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, here's the deal. The practical way to have margin is a budget. Plain and simple. 
is a great quote. Uh, different people get credit for it. I think Larry Burkett is the one who started it. He says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. <laughs> yeah, it's called planning. And, and when you budget, you can actually decide what you're gonna make, decide what you wanna spend, and have some room for margin because you decided in advance that's what you're gonna do. You need a budget. And, and I want to just stop and explain something because right now, some of you might be a little confused. What is he talking about? Is he talking about saving? Because we save already. And the answer is no. I'm not talking about saving. You see, you spend today on expenses for today. Like you're gonna have lunch before you go to bed today, most likely. That's an expense for today. And, and saving is for an expense that you know you're gonna have in the future. Like I've got a family of six. We've got four children. And there is no way for us to do Christmas for our family of six all off of our December paycheck if we also intend to eat in the month of December. It just doesn't work that way. And so we save all year long for an expense we know that is coming in December. We still got six people when it comes to birthdays. And so we can't do all of that every time we get to that month. And so we save all throughout the year for our six birthdays. We go on vacation. I try to go on vacation with my family. And have you ever taken six people out to eat three meals a day for a week at the beach? Yeah, that, that gets crazy. So that's what he's looking to go. That's what cereal is for. Get over there and eat your cereal for breakfast. We're <laughs> only going out once today. Anyway, here's the point. To do that vacation, to pay for that hotel, to take the kids out and to be able to say, sure, we can go ride the go-karts without counting your money in your wallet. Can we ride it? You know, th then you have to save. Saving is about spending later Spending today is about spending now. Margin is about who knows. Wonder what opportunity is coming or wonder what crisis is coming. And I just wanna go ahead and say, if you're one of those budget people, depending on what budget you use, different apps work different way and different programs and schools of thought. And so, you know, we, we love Dave Ramsey here and we love Financial Peace University. That's why we use it. But Dave makes you spend every dollar. He doesn't let you have extra dollars. So if that's the way you think, then create a budget line item that says margin and put money there and just let it add up until you come to that rainy day or that beautiful, bright, sunny day. Because if you don't have margin, you're not gonna be prepared for the next 2020. I can't promise you what the future will hold. If you don't have margin, you can't seize that opportunity. I mean, what are the dreams you have, the opportunity you're asking God to do? And well, what if he actually answered your dream and your prayer? Would you be able to seize that? And, and can, let's, can we bring it down to something affordable for what we're talking about today? Like some of you are going, yeah, I'd love a beach house in Malibu. Yeah, that, uh, you're probably not gonna get there with margin. That might take a little more intentionality on some other categories. But what if, your yard sale shopping, one Saturday morning. My wife loves to go yard sale shopping. I don't really know why. I don't like touching people's old stuff personally. <laughs> but I think she just enjoys time away from me and the kids. But anyway, I'm always hoping that she'll come across something that is like a really awesome opportunity for me. Like I collect the, uh, uh, the old um, albums and I love Beatles. And, and she found me some original classic Beatles. And the people were like, oh, these aren't worth much of anything, like a dollar an album. I'm going, yes, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, the truth is that did not require, she had spending money for like three bucks, it was okay. But what if you're asking for something like a, an old broken down motorcycle, a vintage model that you get to restore and you finally come across one. So maybe it's like a thousand dollars. That's a little too much to be carrying around in your pocket, but do you have it? Would it be there if you needed it? Or, or maybe it's an antique sewing machine, or maybe it's a set of golf clubs that somebody else is having a bad day and they're having to sell to you would be a great opportunity, but is it there? 
And I'm not talking about dipping into your savings where you say, well, you know, I can pay for that out of my kid's birthday. They won't ever know. <laughs> we just would give them a, we'll tell them we, we, we pared down a little for birthdays this year and I'll just say, no, no, no. I'm not talking about messing with what you've got to spend today or what you've got to spend in the future. I'm talking about being ready in case God gives an opportunity. What if God calls you to do something, to be generous with that? We're gonna talk more about that next week in the series as well. We need margin. And so we've been doing this in our church for a long time. It's, it's how we budget here. And margin is, is setting aside stuff so that we can do what God calls us to do that we don't know about. We don't know about pandemics. We also don't know about the greatest opportunity. We don't know what the future holds. What we do know is we have to pay the electric bill every month. What we do know is that we've got to pay the mortgage every month. What we do know is someday we would need to fix the roof. When we moved into this building, it was all beautiful on the inside. If you ever came here on a dry, sunny day, it was a gorgeous place to be. If you ever came here on a rainy day, we had to run around with buckets everywhere for two years. And so we were saving during those two years to put a new roof on this building, which we were able to do. When we moved into this building, we didn't have parking. Some of you remember that. And so we were parking on the grass. We were parking in the backside of the warehouse. We were parking anywhere that we could put a car. And so we were saving for two years to be able to add to our parking lot. Guess what? Parking lot's only halfway there. We will add to it again someday. We are saving for that. Those are all savings. And I can't take from the roof fund to do something else because the roof still has holes in it. Margin is money that says, what are you gonna do, God? Just what are you gonna do? And we've been able to do great things in the past year because of that margin. And we'll talk a little bit about some of that in a minute. But honestly, the practical side is the easy part. Now, I'm gonna move on from that because some of you are probably sitting there going, okay, that's nice. But the truth is that's kind of like a self-help talk, kind of a motivational speech that you could have given in a seminar somewhere that, that does not require me to come. And so far, you haven't really talked to me about what God's gonna do in my heart. And I'd say, okay, fair. Because what I really wanna talk to you about is this next part. It's the second reason we don't have margin because it is something that's wrong in our heart. First Timothy 6 says, but godliness with contentment. Contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. And it turns out that the heart way to have margin is with contentment. Something right here that says I'm blessed I'm satisfied. Life is good. Some definitions even go to say, I'm happy. But think about that. The Bible just said, if we have food and clothing, I should be satisfied and happy, doing well and counting myself blessed. Well, we have those, don't we? Nobody got up this morning that's here in this room, at least, and didn't have groceries. Matter of fact, most of us have already faced the toughest decision we will face today, and that was standing in your closet and figuring out which one of the many to wear today. And yet somehow, we're probably not content. And before I go any further, I wanna make sure you understand, I'm not preaching a poverty mentality. If God has blessed you, be blessed. That will come out all throughout the series. God has blessed us to be a blessing, and if he's blessed you, then, then that's cool. 
I'm not telling you that you can't have stuff and you can't have nice stuff. I'm just saying, where's our heart when we look at our stuff? Because he goes on to say, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Oh my gosh, that's one of the meanest sentences in the Bible. Nobody has ever come to me and said, hey, pastor, I just memorized 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. I have never met one human who memorized that verse right there. Oh, I'm so excited to ruin and destruction and harmful desires. But I've met a lot of people who have attempted to memorize the next one. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The problem is a lot of people take that out of context and they leave out some words and they say money is the root of all kinds of evils. I need you to know that there are many people that God has blessed their socks off of in the Bible. It was always so that they could be a blessing as well, not just so that they could be rich, but he made them rich so that they could change the world around them. I've got some very wealthy friends. And fortunately, they're very wealthy and godly friends. And so even though they have a lot of money, they know that God gave them that money to change the world around them, and they do that. There's nothing wrong with the money God's given you. Don't take that Bible verse out of context. But there is something wrong with loving money more than the one who gave it to us or the reason that he gave it to us. It is through this craving, the love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And I think that's why in the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about the word of God being sown and it raised up four groups of people and three of those groups did not continue in their faith. And here's how he described one of them. The others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, because they have things, they have plenty of things, they have nice things, but the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. See, it's simple. As long as you're not satisfied with where you are and what you have and what God's done, you're always gonna be wanting. And if you're always wanting, then you're always feeling like you don't have enough. And if you don't have enough, you're spending everything that you have and everything that you will get to have more. And that means there will never be margin. Margin won't come from being rich because if you get rich, you'll just buy more and nicer stuff. It doesn't come from a change in your paycheck. See, when we think, I will have margin, I will honor God, I will do what I need to do when I have more money, you're waiting on the numbers on your check to change and thinking that your heart will follow. No, 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 Jesus is saying, look, we're gonna deal with the heart first so you can deal with the number on the paycheck when it changes. This is what we're talking about today is what's going on right here. This was a big issue for my wife and myself. She's not on here on the stage, so I'm just gonna embarrass me instead of her. I'm a materialistic person. If you've ever heard me preach more than a few times, I've, I've made that confession before. I, I love stuff, I really do. I love nice stuff, I love lots of stuff. I'd love to say that I'm, I'm not like that, but I am, so I can just say that, so that if anybody else is there, you can, you can repent with me. But I, I have a TV at home that I think is a big TV. At least every time I need to move a wire, it takes two people to get that stupid thing off the wall. It must be a big TV. It's a nice TV. It, it's a large TV. It takes me and a child bigger than me, only one of them. And, and I'm telling you, it's a, I still go to Best Buy and go, oh, that's nice, I'd like that one, that's... Why? 
I have a nice car. I think it's like two years old. It's got literally every feature that you could have bought on that car when you, when you bought it at the time. And yet a friend of mine, he got a new car like a week and a half ago and he came over to my house and I went out and sat down and I went, ooh, I want one too. Why? Always wanting stuff, more stuff, nice stuff. Like shoes. Come on, y'all. I have more shoes than my wife. And I tell her, it's because, honey, I gotta stand on stage in front of people. I can't wear what I wore last week. I mean, I gotta have fashion. And that may not be true, but she still lets me go shopping, so it's okay. Actually, I did wear these just to make this point this week. I like stuff. I like nice stuff. If you were here for the previous series, my wife and I talked about our marriage. If you've been around previous years, we've talked about our marriage. We talked about the first decade of our marriage being so difficult, and, and there's no question that what got us through that was the grace and will of God. No question, no question. But if you were to ask me on a practical, funny, small, simple level, what is something that helped us get through that? It's because even though we would fight about anything and everything, just because we were so broken, we were just always looking for a way to fight with each other. There was one thing we didn't fight about. It's one thing we got along so well, and that was going to the mall. Now, for all you young people, that's like Amazon, <laughs> but you use your bodies. <laughs> It's like virtual reality Amazon. You walk through Amazon, you try it on, then you click put it in my cart. And you are your own shipping service, just for the record. <laughs> but we loved going to the mall, and at the time we lived in another state, and uh, we lived in a very rich zip code, closer to a very rich zip code, and so the mall that we were near was a very high-end, high-end mall. I was a school teacher. And we would go to this mall and we would walk around and look at stuff. I'd like to have that. And that shirt was more than our entire family's clothing budget for like three months. I'd still like that shirt. Or we'd, one of our favorite stores was a high-end furniture store in the mall. And we'd go and sit on these fancy leather couches and say, wouldn't this be nice to have? Yeah, it'd be nice to have. We'll have this someday. Yeah, we'll have something. You know, just... the. The couch cost more than the car we drove to the mall in. And what were we thinking? And we'd get so frustrated over that we couldn't have any of this stuff that we were torturing ourselves with by looking at and over how little we felt like we had in our own lives that we'd go out for a steak dinner thanks to Visa. We always felt like we didn't have enough. Matter of fact, we were very poor stewards at the time. We hadn't been taught Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. We were not very wise with, with what we were doing. So we, we would spend on a credit card and then get ourselves into trouble. And we would try to figure out which bill do we pay this month? Well, that one's two months behind. This one's current. We'll wait till next month. If you've ever been there and done that, don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. And so the problem is when we went to the mall, all it did was continue to fuel discontent because we were blessed. We never woke up wondering what are we gonna to wear today. We didn't go without food except one or two times because we were really stupid. 
But even then, I mean, we fast now longer than we went without food, so that wasn't really a dire circumstance. But it would fuel the discontent. We were always thinking, man, just not enough. And I think it's important right here to work, look at something Jesus said. He said, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed. Because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see, being content is the opposite of being greedy. And the problem is we don't think we're greedy and we don't think we're discontent because when we hear the word greed, we think of, who comes to mind? Scrooge, right, in A Christmas Carol. Or Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life. Every time we think of somebody greedy, we think of like a nasty little banker with a nasty little voice who's tried to count every penny and won't even give you half a day off on Christmas Eve. You know, that's what we think of. That's somebody who's greedy. Not me, I'm not greedy. Yeah, yeah, we are. Matter of fact, this is where the series starts to come together. This is, there's a reason it's a three-part series, and there's a reason it's done in those three steps of order because you'll never have margin if you miss part one, says honor God, because if you're not honoring God, then the devil has permission to take anything he wants, and God's hand of protection is not there. You have to go back and listen to part one if you miss that. But here's the problem. If you're not honoring God and the devil is wreaking havoc in everything that you own and your finances, then there's no room for margin. And that all happens because you're greedy and you don't give to God what is God's. And you're greedy because even when you're blessed, or at least, can I, I'll just change this to me. I'm greedy because even when I'm blessed, I stand in my closet and say, I need another pair of shoes. They've already seen that one. We need to own up to the condition of our hearts because what happens when we don't acknowledge the greed that's there, again, you can have stuff. I'm not, I don't have a problem with stuff. It's not money that's the root of all kinds of evil, it's the love of it, right? So everybody just keep, stay on track. If we don't call greed for what it is, then we'll be discontent and we won't know why. And we'll look at God and say, you haven't blessed me. You haven't been good to me. I can't believe I have to wear this again this week. I can't believe all I have to eat is and the devil is excited when we stop thinking God's been good to us. At Grace Life, when the pandemic began, we were able to buy masks, thousands and thousands of masks to give out to hospitals in the community, first responders, to people who needed them, because we had a global outreach connection to be able to buy them from another country and to get them here because we couldn't get them here. When the pandemic began, we were able to help feed children because you may not know this, there are some children who struggle with food and clothing. There are some children who are raised in homes where the only meal they get is the one that the school gives to them. And when school shuts down, those kids don't eat. So we were able to, to give funds with a partner here in this school district to feed our kids. We were able to do the same for one of our outreach partners in the nation. And then we were able to do the same for one of our partners internationally. We fed kids all around the world during the pandemic. You know why? Because of margin. I'd be remiss if I didn't say, as I said last week, also because of your generous giving. But if your generous giving was not stewarded with margin, we still would not have been able to do that. And we run the church on margin. So when the pandemic hit, matter of fact, about four weeks before the pandemic hit, we were having a staff lunch and I was sitting at Mod Pizza with some of our staff and I had friends of mine that were in other parts of the nation and their churches had already been shut down. They're about a month ahead of South Carolina, which will always be last to the politically correct dance. But anyway, I said, you know what? This is gonna devastate some churches. 
This is gonna devastate some people who are not prepared and don't have margin. Some churches are gonna close their doors. And so we saw it coming, and because of that, when we had to go online, we'd never been online before. You know why? Because we didn't have all the equipment we needed, we didn't have the staff we needed, but within hours, we were able to buy the equipment we needed, hire out the services we needed, and you never missed a worship service. Matter of fact, people got saved only because worship came into their home. You know why we could do all that? Margin. Because even when we thought some churches are gonna be devastated, some people are gonna lose their jobs, the income coming into the church may go down, but there was still enough money for us to do what God had called us to do. We were able to give it out around the world. We were able to do what God's called us to do right here, all because of margin. And some of us didn't have margin in our own personal lives, and that's why 2020 was so tough. The good news for my wife and I is we finally just got sick of ourselves. And I hope the stories that I've told you today, some of you just get sick of yourselves. You just get sick of looking in your closet and going, I need more. You get sick of just thinking God hasn't been good. We finally just, you know what? What we were most sick of was truly not having enough because we always spent today's money yesterday. That's a whole nother concept, but we decided we're gonna get on a budget and we're gonna leave room in the budget because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We didn't know a pandemic was coming. And so my wife and I have moved to a place where we have margin. And one of the things that happened to us when, when uh, we moved to Columbia, we had one kid and we bought a small house and then we ended up with four kids and a dog. And when it came to the point that I was sharing a room with a child and a dog, that was enough. So we got a bigger house. God blessed us. But it was also during the last housing crisis and so we couldn't sell the little one that we owned. So we started renting it, but we had no margin. And so every month was like, oh God, please let the tenants pay rent today. Please let the tenants pay rent today. And when they would move out and there'd be a month till a new person came in, we'd, we'd have to go without some stuff. We got sick of always living that way. And so now we have margin. We have savings even dedicated to that project. And then we have margin and we have margin. And, and we're just like, I, I don't wanna change my comfort zone in, in terms of my couch. I wanna change my comfort zone in terms of my stress. Anybody with me? And so when a pandemic hit that didn't change our church, we didn't have to lay off any staff. I didn't lose my job, but my tenant did. And when they couldn't pay rent, we didn't lose the house. Just because of margin. Just because we got sick of ourselves. God did something long ago in our lives that said, it's no fun way to live. And the truth is the happiest people I know live with margin. And we should just do a series on margin because there's way more than money. Matter of fact, the happiest people I know have margin in their time. You know, the, the sayings, stop and smell the roses. And some of us, man, we don't have time to stop and smell the roses. We've got more meetings to go to today and more work to do today than we could do in a week. That's why we never take prayer walks because prayer walks seem like a time luxury. We don't have time to talk to God. We got too much to do. We don't have margin in our time. Some of us don't have margin in our energy. The happiest people I know have margin in their energy. The most stressed out people I know don't. We're the people who go to bed dreaming about how many, nightmaring about how many things were left on our to-do list sticky note that day and knowing that before we wake up, we're already behind. In the same way with money. We go to bed hoping tomorrow's a better day because we couldn't even pay for this one. I hope that today God has made you sick of living that way and that we will confess what's in our heart. It really is greed. Jesus said all kinds of greed. Watch out for all kinds of greed. God, you've been good to me. 
I encourage you to go home, look in your refrigerator, look in your cabinets, look at your closet. Just say, God, you've been good to me. I don't want to give the enemy room by being discontent. Let me pray for us. God, you have blessed us. Today we stand before you saying thank you. And we want to destroy the lie. We want to renounce the lie even that says that you haven't been good, that we need more and we need more stuff, newer stuff. We need something that we don't have in order to say you've been good. God, you have been good. And we declare that right now for every angel and every demon to hear. We declare it so that our hearts will follow. And we'll acknowledge that there are things in our heart we need to surrender to you. We need to be content so that we can be generous, so that we can honor you. God, thank you for your goodness to us. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those who have yet to make Jesus their king. In addition to all the blessings that we have in our life, the greatest blessing, of course, is that he sent his son to die our place on the cross because of his perfect life. When he was killed, his blood was shed. It was able to pay for our sins, offering us forgiveness and eternal life because of the same power that raised him from the dead. If you've never made the exchange of the life you've been living for the one that he has for you in his kingdom, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that I am loved. Thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Will you help me celebrate with those people, everybody? Amen.